Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Retail Media Moguls podcast brought to you by Platform 195. I'm Stuart Adamson, your host. We're nearing the end of the year and what better time to relive some of the highlights and priceless insights we've had on the show this season. Today we'll be listening to five of our special guests as selected by audience engagement, our most downloaded episodes. So sit back, grab a cup of your favorite beverage and listen in. Let's start by listening to Tom Langley, a dynamic business leader with over 18 years of leadership experience across retail media, digital marketing, and e-commerce. Tom is the head of personalization and retail media at John Lewis Partnership. Let's talk about data and insights, obviously that your heartland. You know, how are you using data as partnership model? You know, are you using those algorithms? How deep is it at the moment? You know, so you talked about the club card data. How much are you using that at the moment? Yeah, not as much as I'd like, but we're going on a journey for sure. I yeah. mean, what so we call so JLP, John Lewis Partnership Insights and Media. That's what we've, I guess, called our the team within the organisation and giving ourselves an identity both to articulate what it is internally, but also externally. So you know, we're working on that, but we've consciously called it Insights and Media because I believe that you should really be providing a fairly full suite of marketing services, and insights is a really important part of that. So. The first part of data and, and insights is how do we help suppliers to understand their customers? So how do they understand what types of customers are buying their brand? What types of customers are lapsing from their brand? How are they changing over time? And and not that core kind of just customer insight. Are you charging for that or is that sort of a service? We've done a partnership with Dunhumby actually. So they've got a, you know, a global product that they have that we're white labeling and, and taking to market this year so that, you know, I think. Relatively speaking, the questions you want to ask, there's a few providers around the world who have created these solutions that help you ask, answer questions about your customers of what types of customers are buying it. And so, yeah, in that model, there is a license fee per year for the suppliers to essentially access that insight, understand their customers. So I think that helps you then make better decisions across the retail, you know, journey. So it's, it's not just about media, but media becomes one of those areas where you say, okay, now I understand that I've got you know, I'm winning with this group of customers and, you know, they're spending a lot of money, whereas I'm actually, let's take men's, you know, you and I, men's fashion. So, you know, I'm buying a Ted Baker shirt, but I also bought a Reese shirt and I've also bought some own label and, and seeing how customers are repertoire shopping across categories as well and understanding that. So the marketeers can then go, how am I going to market differently? And I think we've not had that base kind of understanding of customer to then feed into how do people then build their plans. So that's the mm. kind of first part of the journey is to, to ensure that we have you know, relatively democratized understanding of what customer behavior is. And then in audiences, I think on-site, I still think is a bit of a journey in terms of how you truly use your first-party data. I think you're typically using keywords and what the page is and what that's trying to achieve versus truly putting in an audience. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it gets overrated a little bit in terms of the need to have loyalty card data for your on-site media. You can use it for certain banners, but I would say, you know, if you take Amazon and make you know eighty percent of their money from sponsored per- search and sponsored products, it's a bit different because they're a marketplace. Yeah. But those solutions are not typically looking at you as a customer; they're looking at the search term that someone's used. So, yeah. where do you truly? Where can you use your first-party data? It's typically in loyalty and CRM, where you can be very targeted. And then when it comes to offsite, so what you do outside your ecosystem, because in those two channels, the data is everything. You know, and mm-hmm. I think for us, we're not as mature as I'd like us to be in those two channels. So we want to, and we are investing into putting more into our loyalty program for the next year. So building out a kind of broader pan partnership loyalty scheme that launches next year. And so that we have more mechanics that we can use as retail media to talk to customers, but it also 
then enhances the swipe rates so that, you know, building up that first party data graph so that we can use it across those channels. So. And how are you finding the inventory challenge? Do you have a challenge there in terms of having enough inventory, certainly when you get maybe those smaller searches and but a volume of advertisers? Are you having challenges around inventory or are you generally? I think we're still learning about inventory management. I think we're we're still, you know, to run a retail media organization, you really ideally would have a kind of booking planning tool that then allows you to run insights over the top of it to, to understand your sell-through rates, your inventory management, and things like that. So we, we're running a lot of that through Google at the moment, but going through a kind of journey to change that. So I think we don't know as well as we would like to on in real time. Like we kind of retrospectively know. Mm. So we are selling out in some of our physical channels because you have that kind of finite, you know, in our magazine, you only have so many pages that are advertorials. So there are channels like selling out and we are you know, reaching capacity. Whereas on site, you know, there's still a huge amount of inventory that we've got in terms of search terms. So then it's how do you unlock the insight to understand what isn't being sold out? You know, in terms of understanding that tale of um, search terms and then giving that information to suppliers so they can understand how customers are searching and how can they bid and build a wallet around those things. So I think a bit of a mix, but we definitely have recognized the fact that we don't have a good enough understanding on our inventory management and sell-through rate and how we kind of understand our business. I think if you're any you retail around the world, if you can't see it, you can't fix it. You know, if you can't truly yeah. see your business and how it's working, what's working, what's selling, what's not selling, much by category by supplier you know etc it's really hard to then ensure the strategy exactly up next we have colin lewis who is an advisor at grace and co colin is a seasoned marketeer with over 25 years of hands-on international marketing experience colin's also a multi-award-winning marketeer a keynote speaker on retail media a founder and a best-selling author actually we've got a couple of clients now who are launching new site it's a pleasure to deal with because we can actually dictate or not dictate but work through with them how that retail media operation looks from the start and everyone's aligned and there's nobody saying a site and on the go that then being cannibalized or you have to day b test and that it's all from the off so innovation or uh they call it joseph schumpeter called it creative destruction is actually going to be another thing that's going to come up on the side that we're not expecting tell me a bit more about that well, back in the 1940s, there was a, an Austrian economist called Joseph Schumpeter. And uh, one of his key, key kind of points in his, in his book is how innovation waves occur is not through layering over existing things. It comes through what's called creative destruction, where new innovations and new technologies come on and kind of blow away the past. And for our listeners, it's understanding destruction. Destruction is a bit of a harsh word, but that's not what he means. Um, he kind of says, well, there's a lot of newer opportunities that create. Now, we all know this because most people listening on this call probably can remember 25, 30 years ago, and many businesses don't exist from 25, 30 years ago. And that's an example of creative destruction. There's plenty of retailers who went bust in the last 10 years. That's an yeah. example of creative destruction. But big difference, say, compared to 20, 30 years ago, is the speed driven through exponential technologies and driven through exponential capabilities. So, you know, a steward myself arguably could spin up a retailer through using Shopify and, you know, getting some payment mechanisms aboard, getting some suppliers aboard through a wholesaler. Well, give or take, we could have the Shopify site up in half an hour. You have payment mechanisms up in an hour or two, and we're in business. Getting the supply might be tricky and getting the delivery but might be tricky, but arguably we could be up and running within a month without some huge capital cost. Whereas yeah. if Stuart and, myself, Stuart and I were going to set up a retailer on the high street, first of all, we'd have to do a lease. And then we'd buy that lease and 
the lease would be for 20 years. Then we'd have to go and fill out the store. Then we'd have to get payment terms and we wouldn't get payment terms. So we'd actually have to fund every single product ourselves out of free, out of cash. And then we'd be signed into a 20 year lease and we still have no customers. And then we have to hire staff, we still have no customers. And then we've got a marketing program, we still have no customers. So you see the two difference, see that chasm between the two. Yeah. And so that's why people still, like you see these, well, I'm going to be rude on your show. You see a lot of people talking about how e-commerce is flatlined, e-commerce is dead. And the correct answer for those people is morons, okay? Because they can't actually see how e-commerce completely changes the business model of retail. If we have, and by the way, we have a model for this already, and it's called commercial real estate. So commercial real estate right now is on a major problem. Why? Because they built these massive assets that people are no longer going to because of hybrid work. Two, three days a week will not make you pay for your billion pound mortgage. If we take the same thing with retailing, which do you want? Do you want to open up a shopping mall, you know, out of town that costs billions to build, um, fill, needs to be filled full of staff and have lots of attractions to get people there? Or B, do you want to set up, you know, Lewis and Adamson retailers, run it from a very cheap warehouse using cheap technologies and deliver exactly the same experience, but online? There is only one answer, Stuart. Yeah. yeah. That's why e-commerce has barely started. We're actually in the th- web one was the original phase of the web in the 2000s. Web 2.0 was obviously the rise of social media. And we're now about to do web three and it's going to make the other one look like kindergarten i think if we did set up a retailer we wouldn't need a warehouse because it'd be in travel but i think that's a really good point but the rules don't apply in many cases on services it's kind of interesting you hear a lot on marketing talk about how we shouldn't discount i'm like well if there's no cost of delivery and it's a marginal cost of delivery you can discount all you like and people can't tune into this because they still live in this world of you know hard products rather than abstractions and algorithms which is essentially what e-commerce and marketplaces are no i think we're sort of slightly over time but i've just you know absolutely loved talking to you colin i think it's been an absolutely brilliant pod so thank you for coming in but Maybe one last question around innovation. You know, you talked just then a lot about innovation. What about, what are the next, what are the big innovation trends? What's going to happen now in retail media over the next few years? Well, the first one is people will start really realizing what they can do with their data and the audiences around that, number one. Number two, the trigger from Cannes a few weeks ago from Google was where they're basically saying, we're not getting involved in retail media. What we're going to do is use extensions, audience extensions. And what's one of those audience extensions search? What's the big one? YouTube. And so what we're going to find is brands going, hold on a second, I can advertise my products on YouTube match to audiences from a retailer rather than go onto ITV and spend mega money on you know advertising the ITV news. That is a complete game changer. As obviously tied in with connected TV. Yeah. And then number three will be capabilities of brand building offsite, which are the one I've just described there, but also other channels as well. That's what's going to happen. It's a 100% guarantee because the current way of marketing brands through expensive TV ads with massive production costs yeah. is only select a few. And the future is belongs to democratization of technologies and democratization of products. Next up is Anthony Bridges. Anthony is the head of platforms at Platform 195, a retail media solutions and marketing company. And he's built a career developing and launching digital media platforms at Tesco, Thomas Cook, and Accenture. Uh, Anthony is highly skilled across the full retail media product lifecycle, leading operational teams to achieve success. Tell us a bit about our platforms called Uplift Ads and Hub. 
tell us a little bit about that now and how you've managed to therefore take what you've learned at Thomas Cook and what are we building? You know, I think our listeners would be keen to see, given our experience in scaling this within a major retailer. Effectively, you know, Thomas Cook blowing up when it did as a business in around 2019 gave us this interesting position of having all of this tech stack that we'd built and then kind of getting that taken away from us. But the experience and the knowledge in knowing, okay, now we're going to start again. You know, how best do we build this? You know, knowing how to scale a retail media organization and knowing the different supplier types you have, be that your key strategic suppliers or your long tail of suppliers, you know, they have different service models around those. We were starting from this blank page, really. But we had that experience and knowledge to know what to build and how to build it. You know, how do we best monetize e-commerce sites? What are the challenges that we're going to come up with? What do we need to make sure our technology does? You know, for example, we have Uplift Ads, which is our ad server. Number one, that has to load rapidly that do not impact that customer experience. You know, so we've built a server side ad server to do that. Number two is around how can we make sure we activate audience extension seamlessly, you know, connecting into the leading paid media channels such as DSPs and, you know, social advertising platforms. Mm. So rebuilding those integrations. And then it's around the whole servicing. So inventory management is a huge challenge for retailers, campaign management, automated screenshots, you know, reporting, all of those pain, pain, pain points that you have as you scale, we build to solve those problems which we had experienced so we knew kind of where to start with uplift as a platform we adapt to to just meet our clients requirements around you know how they service their retail media yeah i think what we look to do is how do they do sort of three things one is drive incremental and bigger deals from the bigger suppliers the ones that come to them every year with decent sized budgets how do they actually grow those through effectiveness creative solutions datafied media solutions automating activity so it's optimized and strong and then the second piece being that whole long tail of suppliers with small budgets you know how do we help them scale all of that so you know automating everything you've just talked about and then thirdly is campaign management efficiency so creating that ability for campaign managers to have a platform that they're able to go on and capture all that stuff wasn't it so and i think we've done that you know it's really strong we're now seeing several many many retailers and actually, it's great seeing that platform evolve a bit. Um, but in that evolution, then what's next? Obviously, we're at the forefront of it. But, you know, where do you see things evolving for these guys? There tends to be a typical journey that retailers take in so much that they start to look at how they can monetize their owned media first. You know, what types of solutions can we have on our sites? You know, things like sponsored products, display ads, video ads. There's lots of tech built around that to do that at scale. And increasingly around sort of when they realize that when they start monetizing their long tail of suppliers, that they don't have enough inventory on their own platforms. It's actually, you know, with the audiences that we've got and with the data that we've got, how can we run effective campaigns for all of our suppliers? You know, and that's where retail media is heading. But obviously it faces this huge issue around sort of cookies and, you know, privacy. So there's lots of people trying to solve that, you know, that challenge. In terms of retail media, you hear a lot about, you know, the use cases for data clean rooms and, you know, new channels that audiences can be activated in, be it, you know, connected TV or programmatic out of home. You know, so you will start to see more and more, you know, retail media or retailers data being activated, I think, for supplier campaigns into those environments. And of course, you know, the whale is is Amazon, you know, so whatever they're building from an ad tech point of view as AWS, as well as their own Amazon media solutions you know, the market tends to follow. 
So, you know, building their own DSP and being able to activate audiences there and building new ad solutions, you know, that it's always a good kind of, you know, benchmark to, to, to sort of look and see what they're doing. I like, you know, it's career defining that stuff. And actually, it's amazing that we've taken all those learnings into Platform 195 now. And actually, you know, what we're doing now is groundbreaking again, I think, doing it across many, many retailers rather than just one massive one. So, look, I mean, we're getting near to the end of time. I mean, what would be really interesting maybe is probably a final question is, you know, taking all those learnings and all that stuff, incredible stuff you've done over the years and are doing now, what sort of three pieces of advice would you give a retailer if they're setting up their sort of retail media organization now or trying to transform it? I think hopefully this would be a bit of a summary of our conversation, but I think there's three key things you need to understand. So one is understand your supply base. As you said, you know, you've got to understand who are your key strategic partners and what is your long tail opportunity. So mm. once you understand that supplier base, you can start to think why they want to advertise with you and what media solutions you need to create for them. And the second is understanding your organization as you went into, you know, so understand kind of who the stakeholders are, who you need to win over. What skill sets do you have within your business to service the media organization? And therefore, what skill sets do you need to, you know, go out to support with? Um, you know, you're thinking and acting like a media organization here, not as a retailer. So you might have gaps. So you really need to kind of get a view on that to be able to build a, an organization. And then the third thing you need to understand, of course, is your customers. You know, understand the data is the value of, is the value proposition of a retail media role. You know, the data on your, the customers in terms of the audiences you're able to create and target with advertising. So the first thing is around don't impact that customer experience. You know, the retailer still needs to sell products. So making sure when you design your media solutions, don't impact that experience. But look, really understanding those audience segments and how they're valuable to your supplier base and your advertisers, that is what you need to understand. Because then once you know that, you can think, well, how can I activate against those audiences? What solutions do I need? What channels do I need? What creative content will resonate with them? You know, what insight can we glean from those customers? Mm. So, yeah, three things. Understand your supplier base, your org and your customers, I would say. Our next guest is Kate Glaystein. Kate is the Director of Media at PDC Brands in America and a retail media leader with experience in driving high-impact marketing initiatives, including integrated media campaigns and global brand integrated partnerships. From her, we really get a view from the brand side. Because you don't do direct-to-consumer sales, it's via all the retailers. Do you get to see much data from those retailers? Are they quite candid with that? Or is it still quite backwards in many ways? in how they're dealing with data within those retailers and sharing that? Yeah, I think it depends on the data that you're looking to find. There is some mm. areas where larger retailers are willing to help you paint a clearer picture of your consumer to understand, obviously, you know, there's point of sale data, but there is still a lot of missed opportunity, I'd say, in the transparency that you get from some larger retailer partners. So that is still a challenge. And I think there's the misconception right now too, where there's such an ubiquity when it comes to DTC and brands leveraging DTC, which I think is great. But with some companies, you just logistically don't have the opportunity to offer that to your clients. So our company, at least where I am now, we're kind of pigeonholed into the retailer world, not as a challenge necessarily, but it gives us the opportunity to be in more places for the consumer without putting too much of the cost on the consumer or us having to absorb costs of working as a DTC. 
What would you love to see, really? So obviously, you said you've seen bits of point of sale data. What mm-hmm. sort of data would you love in an ideal world? And I know the world isn't ideal, yeah. but would you love to see from those retailers? I'd say number one for us is benchmarks. A lot of what we're doing is new. We're a growing company. So as we're working, we're trying to understand if our campaigns, if our new partners, content, whatever it might be, if it's working for us, it really depends. Well, how does it compare to our category? How does it compare to our competitors? And I know competitors can be a tall order, but I think if you at least look at category, I think that's where we can really get a better picture of what we're doing. And that's where we struggled the most, I'd say, is getting those benchmarks from our third-party partners. Brilliant. Very interesting. I'm actually, we're seeing that quite a lot across the board from our clients as well and wanting that and actually getting, you know, we're building some dashboards for brands in order that they can see all of their strategic partnership data going into one place, but anonymized so that it protects the retailer, but gives the brand that Mm -hmm. insight that they want. It feels like there's a big move towards that space or should be relatively soon, I think. Tell us about the transparency piece then. Are you getting much transparency from the retailers in terms of how they report to you in terms of product sales and things like that? Because traditionally, that's been a challenge. In terms of our sales, yes, we do have a decent amount of transparency. One thing I would also love to see more of is understanding the consumer shopping cart experience. I think you understand you know, how your products are moving, but I think when you see a broader picture of what the consumer is buying, you can understand where your products fit in in their lifestyle. And that's one area that I think we get the reporting from or we do our research within the consumers. But when it's self-reported, it's mm. not as honest. I don't think consumers are even honest with themselves into why they're necessarily buying the products that they're buying. So I think when you get the data, which gives you a little bit clearer picture of what other products are in their cart, what are they really shopping for? What is the overall shopping cart cost? And you understand where your products fit in, I think would paint a really clear picture for us and be transparency that I don't think any retailer is really willing to offer at this point. Yeah. Because obviously you're the director of media and you oversee not just the retail media piece, but obviously the main media piece as well. But are you seeing a shift within that to sort of doing more retail media campaigns? Are you pushing budget more towards your retail partners? How is that mix changing, if at all? Yeah. Well, we work with so many retail partners. We really have to give it an equal opportunity when it comes to commerce and how we're driving our point of sale. But I would say from a media mix standpoint, we are looking for more opportunities within e-commerce. And I think there's more and more that are being offered to make it a frictionless experience for the consumer when they go from what they're doing, how they're consuming media, what content they're consuming, and making sure that our messaging shows up in a way that aligns to the content, aligns to the experience that they're having, Mm. and then also provides some kind of call to action, retail opportunity that doesn't drive them completely away from the experience that they're having. So we do work with a lot of third-party retail platforms right now that can aggregate all the retailers that we do work with and provides the consumer whatever purchase opportunity is most convenient to them. So I think that type of technology is where we want to lean more and more into. It does keep us a little bit more in the digital space, but we are looking for opportunities because I still believe in the impact of, you know, whether it be connected TV or linear TV, that still provides an opportunity for the brand to really grow. And when 
our portfolio was a number of kind of burgeoning brands, we still need that upper funnel impact. Yeah. And those retail media platforms that you're using, as you said, they're going across multiple retailers. What type of spend are you putting there? Is that your traditional trade spend or are you putting in brand spend into that? It's mostly brand spend. So there's a big shift in that because that was previously for connected TV and linear TV and things and now is moving towards retail media platforms. Yeah, I'd say percentage-wise, it fits almost into the ad serving cost bucket at this point. It's sort of just cost of doing media. It's providing the consumers with some kind of landing page experience. And that is the cost of not being a DTC is that you do have to, again, like rely on those kind of third-party platforms, specifically where we don't have the opportunity to drive to one specific retailer. So that's Mm. why we kind of rely on these outside platforms. But yeah, I mean, it does come at a cost of our upper funnel and more brand media buckets. But I think we're now in a world where those lines are being blurred from a consumer experience. It's not always, okay, well, here's for like our brand awareness and brand building. And this is a retail media. It is kind of melding into one larger experience for the consumer so mm. that you do have to have all those you know, reasons to believe, brand identity, purchase driving messaging kind of in one experience and in one bucket. We wind up this special episode by listening to Peter Bond, the Strategic Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel Digital. Peter is considered a leading figure in retail media and has held various senior leadership roles during his 30-year career, working for companies such as Fetch, Power Reviews, Spins, CBS Health, Dunhumby and IRI, to name just a few. He is also the founder and co-host of the CPG Guys podcast. I think one of the things we did when we were working with Thomas Cook was actually we helped set up a limited, separate limited business, which was effectively a, a creative and content agency and used that as an opportunity to not only separate in the suppliers' minds around the fact that this wasn't just trade dollars going to a retailer, but was also actually a full marketing services business, but also, you know, generated its own revenue line. Yeah. So there are all sort of ways around it, I suppose, but it'd be interesting to see how it evolves over time. I'll give you a great example. When Dunhumby was in that joint venture with Kroger, they had a separate company called Dunhumby USA. So it was 50% owned by Kroger. It was 50% owned by Dunhumby. The minute that Kroger dissolved the joint venture and absorbed most of that previous entity into what is now known as 8451, that's the name that they gave this new entity. It's the longitudinal address of Cincinnati. The first thing they had to do was cancel all of their agreements with alcohol manufacturers. And the reason for that is yet another interesting element of U.S. law. It is something called Tidehouse laws, which stem back to actually back to the U.K. And the emergence of legislation around what is commonly referred to as the three-tier system that manufacturers of alcohol, distributors of alcohol, and retailers of alcohol have to be three different entities. And that was to try and prevent alcohol manufacturers from creating monopolies at the retail level. And as a result of that, now that the check was going to 8451 and not this joint venture, they would have been in violation of the tight house laws. So they literally had to cancel. So for, I think now going on eight years, Previously, companies like Anheuser-Busch InBev and Molson Coors and Diageo all had access to the robust customer data that Dunhumby afforded them through Kroger. And that data was cut off completely in 2015. 
Mm. And so to this day are still not able to buy and access that data. Wow, that's amazing. That's why a lot of retail media, the emergence of these third-party entities like Critio and Citrus Ad, which become content platforms that are integrated into the retailer's retail media platform, manufacturers can go and pay Critio, they can go and pay Citrus Ad, and those ads can flow onto retail media platforms or Instacart's a marketplace, right? Instacart is not, same with Drizzly. They are marketplaces. They are not the retailers. They are free to take advertising dollars to promote products. Fascinating. It's amazing. There's always ways around, aren't there? You mentioned before about the, I think it was Walmart's audience being 70% larger in store than than on digital. Is that right? Yep. So tell me about the latest sort of developments in tech in store and the digital experiences sure. and, and then also the anything around the attribution and measurement of that because sure, that, that sure. was always the sort of core challenge in that space. It'd be really nice to know what's going on in the States, really. Sure. So there is a lot of push to drive the creation of different products around in-store media. So there are companies like Barrows, which is a division of WPP, companies like Stratacash, and what they're doing is they are investing in placing surfaces, digital screens, in-store, in-aisle, at the end of end caps. And the idea here is let's start to digitize a lot of the in-store experience. Now, there is what you have to understand when you start talking about this channel is that you have to understand fundamentally that the experience is not going to be what you get in on-site and off-site. Those are highly personalized experiences. I can take the search activity what people are entering into search terms, I can use their historical purchasing behavior and I can serve them up highly personalized content and experiences and offers. That is not the case in a physical store, at least not without the use of a mobile app. So when you talk about you seeing surfaces that are at an end cap, it's more about creating meaningful content experiences than it is about creating personalized content experiences. So fundamentally, things like that. But there are also the ability to print out shelf tags, shelf tags that have additional content on them, advertising content that hangs below the basic barcode and the price per unit and the description of the product. That's another mechanism for in-store media. Radio that's going on in the background, creating radio advertising as people are walking the store. That's a mechanism. A lot of retailers, particularly grocery retailers in the U.S., have fuel stations in their parking lot. There are screens on those fuel stations. That, again, becomes a mechanism. So if you think about there are a lot of opportunities to connect with those consumers as they're coming into the store and do so in meaningful ways, that is the promise of in-store retail media. And that's the great thing is the retailers control it. And if as long as they can start thinking about how they integrate that into their mobile app, because the device that people are carrying around, that can be the personalized element, but it can also be the mechanism that guides the measurement. And you talked about that earlier, right? Understanding that people were in the physical store and being able to precisely locate them in areas of the store, those become the propensity signals for they were exposed to the advertising. Now let's see, did they actually make a purchase in store or online? If you can do that, then this closed loop environment becomes really desirable mm-hmm. to advertisers that are finding that the old freestanding insert is less powerful, that linear television advertising. You know, Walmart's in store audience is twice as large on a weekly basis than the Super Bowl delivers. And the Super Bowl is once a year. 
right? So if you start understanding that scale and saying, wow, in-store is really powerful and I can't reach people through linear television, but I can through in-store activity, they're the ones you look at what Kroger's doing and as Kroger looks to consummate its its merger and acquisition with the Albertsons companies to make them much more competitive with Walmart, that becomes a real powerful. And that's something that will give them to a degree a step up on Amazon because in the United States, you know, Amazon's still the 800 pound gorilla. They still garner 70 to 80% of all the retail media dollars, right? Right. Everybody's chasing Walmart. That's not the case in Europe. It's not the case in APAC and elsewhere in South America and Latin America. Walmart's, uh, pardon me, Amazon's still the 800 pound gorilla, but Walmart and Kroger and those that have in-store audiences and have the ability to create solutions that can advertise in-store, suddenly they have something that Amazon can't catch up to, at least not in the foreseeable future. Like Whole Foods is not a viable competitor to Walmart's physical stores or Kroger's physical stores. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Retail Media Moguls podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did while putting it together. From all of us at Platform 195, we wish you and your family a happy, healthy and prosperous 2024. Be sure to join us again next year as we continue to engage with retail media leaders who share their learnings and insights with you.